Well, we finished a series today. If you're new with us, we're so happy you're here. You're fine. You can catch right back up with it. We're in a This Is Us series. We've been in a series with a couple of goals uh, for our church. One is if, um, if you've been with us, we want a reminder of everybody coming back to This Is Us. We can't spell us without you, so this is who we're trying to be as a church. And then uh, if you are new with us, this is a great way for you to kind of get to know who we are, what we're about. And as a gospel-centered, forever-focused, multi-ethnic movement, We've gone this whole series and we haven't talked about the multi-ethnic piece in this series, so we're going to talk about it today. So I need to study all the ethnicities in the room real quick um, and adjust the message appropriately. Just kidding. Um, I've, uh, I've entitled this message, Diversity is Dumb, and that's a little bit of a, of a hook, and we'll tell you why. We'll get to that, uh, why diversity is dumb in a certain way, and I'm hoping um, that as a church, maybe as an individual, we have some aha moments as a church today. Some like, oh, I never thought of that. All right, I have a lot of aha moments in my walk with Jesus, specifically in my walk as a, as a pastor and leading a multi-ethnic church. Some things that have kind of, you know, light bulb moments, which we talk about those in sports. It's so fun to coach young people because it just, you see sometimes things kind of click and okay, and you know, things make sense. It's what's fun to watch. We're praying as a church, as a Carolina Panther church, we're praying that Bryce Young has an aha moment, like today's his day. We've actually got representation. One of, the, one of our people told me that their college son is gonna be in the stadium today. So we have relentless representation. It just feels like, it feels different. It's a new month. It's October. Kenny, it's October. Um, so we're, we're excited about uh, that. When I think about my journey, as far as thinking about race in connection with God, and it is, there's a lot of moments that we don't have time for, but I just remember having that uh, discontent or that question of why does my church friend group look so different than my school friend group when my church and my school were, you know, within five, ten minutes of each other. And, um, you know, the, the oft-quoted um, Martin Luther King quote that 11 a.m. or 10 a.m., depending on which speech, um, is the most segregated hour in America. And just um, as becoming a pastor and then moving to Kentucky, because I grew up in North Carolina and nobody was really talking about segregated hour and how churches are segregated. And, um, and really I want to talk about an aha moment for me in 2012, 2013. I started to really read and study. I, I came in contact with this thing called the multi-ethnic church movement. I didn't even know that was a thing. Right? And I was really excited about it, and I saw that do a conference. I'm like, you're kidding me? There's a conference for people that are planting multi-ethnic churches, and there's people that have already done it and can help me know, because I don't know how to do it. And it was like, so we went to, and I've been to all these big conferences. This was a small conference, you know, it, was in, it wasn't a big arena kind of thing. It was a smaller room, and it was in Memphis, Tennessee. It was called Kainos, uh, which is a, a word translated means new. God is doing a new thing. And I kind of went into some of that with like, hey, you know what? It's 2013. Come on, like church, get it together. We should be diverse. I thought diverse, like, well, that's what we should be. Like, and, and, you know, we got to catch up with the times. We're trailing. And, and what the aha moment was that this isn't new, that it was from the beginning, God called a shot. Only God could do that from Genesis. Genesis is the beginning. And he, he was going to start a people group. He was going to start a race, basically, you know, later called Jewish or Israelites. He started through one man named Abraham. And he says in Genesis 12, he says, from this one man, I'm going to bless all nations. And you can translate nations as people groups or ethnicities. So how would God, like, 
Back then, before there even was Jewish anything, there wasn't any of what we know now, that God said from the beginning, I'm going to do something through Abraham, which he was talking about family tree, eventually Jesus. I'm going to do something through Abraham. I'm going to bring somebody into existence, the son of God. And through that, every race is going to be blessed. So you read the Old Testament, it's very Jewish focused, but it was never supposed to stay that. The plan from the beginning was for this to be a blessing to all people everywhere. And he was going to change, and and that's in Genesis. Then we see in Revelation, we see this picture of heaven, and it says, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, worshiping God together. So we know that's what's coming. And then the disciples were like, Jesus, would you teach us to pray? Teach us to pray. And he gave us what what we call the Lord's Prayer. And it's not to recite it word for word as much as the vibe behind. If you don't know who God is, it's, it's amazing to me that he wants me to approach him as father. If you had a great father or an absent father, think of the best father in the world and God's more than that. And his preference is for us to come to him as dad. So Jesus said, here's how you pray. Our father who lives in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the prayer for the early Christians would not be that we would hold on tight and get to heaven. It would be that we would bring heaven to earth. That's what the church of Jesus is built on. We're bringing heavenly principles into our crazy world and culture. That's what we're about. So we're springing revelation, every tongue, tribe, and nation. We're bringing that to earth and to present. So it's in Genesis, it's in Revelation, and it's all, it's all in between. There's, there's, there's racial tension in the New Testament, a lot of it, and it's basically Jew versus Gentile. And what is that? What is a Gentile? It's not an amphibian. A Gentile is anybody who's not a Jew. So if you're not Jewish, you'd be a Gentile. So Greeks were... Uh, Gentile. So, so the Jewish people had ushered in the kingdom of God in some ways, and God had made a people for himself that became known as Jewish or, or Israelites. And then Jesus came, and he gave some foreshadowing, and he told the disciples, I'm, I'm, we're going to build this church, and it's going to go to the ends of the earth. It's going to go beyond Jerusalem. And they all were like, yes, sir. Woohoo, let's go. And then Jesus ascended to heaven, and they all stayed in Jerusalem. Nobody left. It took a persecution to make them leave because they were comfortable in Jerusalem and Jewishness, and that was never what the gospel was supposed to be. The gospel was, was always going to be something that exempted no one based on language, gender, skin tone, any of that. It was always supposed to be this unifying, crazy thing like the world has never seen. Um, and, you know, division in the church is a big deal. The Bible speaks to that as part of sin. When we're, when we're divided, we're called to be united by Jesus. And in a multi-ethnic church, which we are, that can be difficult. I just need today, I need us to, I need you to get on, the, on board, right? I need your faith. Like that Jesus already did this. You, you talk about what was between the Jews and the Gentiles in the first century, for them to come together and become what they became, like it should not have happened or survived. And I just need us to, yes, there is racial tension in our culture of all kinds, right? I don't have to educate you on that. That it's not too much for Jesus. You understand? That his arm is not too short, as he says. You know, we love that verse where he's like, is my arm too short to handle this? His arm is not too short to do what he wants to do. And what he wants to do is not make a diverse church. We'll get to that, right? But it's, it's possible. It's happened before. It's who God is. And you're believing that. It matters, Right? Do you think he's looking at Relentless Church and saying, 
oh, y'all, what are y'all doing? Good luck with everything else going on. This is never going to work, but uh, give it a good try. Or is he looking at us and saying, trust me. Trust me. I'm going to do something in you that makes people that don't know me, it makes them stop and take notice. I'm going to give you the power to do what you can't do on your own. We could, we could figure out diversity on our own. Being the multi-ethnic church he's called us to be, we cannot do that without his strength and help. And let me say what multi-ethnic church means, because it can be confusing, um, right? We, we, are, we are predominantly, we're not just a white and, and black church. We're predominantly black and white as a church, all right? So that's two ethnicities, but we're not a bi-ethnic church. That doesn't, that's not as fun to say, uh, you know, uh, gospel-centered, forever-focused, bi-ethnic movement. There is no bi-ethnic movement. We're a multi-ethnic movement, right? So we're multiple um, races. And, and the way that the multi-ethnic church defines a multi-ethnic church, the movement says it's a 20% rule, which is a sociological, sociological thing. If we're going to go off and start a cult and live in the woods, which we're not, if you get any group of people, you got to have 20% to be really have a voice heard. So in a multi-ethnic church, um, it could be, 85% Russian and 15% German. That's not a multi-ethnic church because there's not, you know, and it could be 85% African-American, 15% white. That's not a multi-ethnic church by definition. It's got to be at least 20%. It could be a combination of things, but, but, but the majority race has to be 80% or less to meet the, now is that God's definition? No, that's man's definition. But it was in my head from that conference so when we first started at the theater, we were not as diverse as we are today, and we, would, we were a lot smaller, so we'd have one service, and we would have 100 people, less than 100 people, so I'm counting non-white faces, in my, as because in the theater, some of you remember, like, you can come in late from the back in this room, in the theater, it was one of those theaters, you had to walk in, and you walked into the front row, and everybody looked, and everybody, I just would stop preaching, because nobody's listening to me, because you're all looking at who's going to... So I would kind of do some, some notes of like, okay, if we get to 20 people that aren't white, we're a multi-ethnic church today, but we weren't very diverse. And there was some weeks, we're a multi-ethnic church, and then the next week, uh, we're not a multi-ethnic church today, right? And, and then God told me, you know, kind of taught me to, it's not about the count, it's not about the stat, just trust my heart, trust what I've called Relentless Church to be, and I'll take it from there. And he has. But we're not just two ethnicities as a church. It's not who we are, and we've got some room to grow, and I want you to be aware and excited about that. But I did, um, I texted a few people to see where their, um, their heritage lies, and I may leave somebody out, and I apologize, but when I say that, I'm asking where were your parents born? Because the truth about us, unless you come from a, an ancestry of Native American, then none of us, none of, if we go 12, 15 generations, there's no such thing as an American. Right, all of our parents, great, 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 great grandparents came from out somewhere else. We're all immigrants, unless you're Native American, right? But in our church, like today, just talking about one generation, um, we have we have uh, represented. We have China, India, Philippines, Nigeria, Brazil, Cuba, Puerto Rico. I leave anybody out. What you got? Dominican. Yes, a Dominican, Puerto Rico. Um, our, our, our worship leader, Vasti Rodriguez, um, um, our previous worship leader, was from the Dominican. I'll talk about her in a little bit. The goal, what's the goal? Is the goal to have, like, you know, every flag from the United Nations represented in our church? That would be awesome. We're for that, but that's not the goal. The goal is for the multi-ethnic church to reflect our community, right? That, that there's nothing about the gospel, and this, we've sent the opposite message. There's nothing about the gospel that says everybody should kind of retreat to their own corner, find people that look like them, 
and think like them and worship together. And uh, the gospel doesn't teach or preach that. So we want to reflect our community um, and, and we've got some room to grow. If you look at these, sti- these stats, we're in Wake County. Most of you live in Wake County, but not all. Wake County is 58% white, 21% black, 11% Hispanic, 9% Asian. All right. Uh, we're in Garner. This is the address of where we are right now, um, which is a little different, but close to the same. And then we're, we're right on the edge of Garner-Raleigh. Raleigh's stats are uh, close to the same. And, and we can take those off because some of you will get lost in the stats. Um, we, uh, we have schools. Uh, I, looked at, I don't have them on the, on the screen, but um, schools are more diverse, right? If you look at the schools, you kind of see the future of our Wake County, right? Um, and if you're a, an elementary, middle school student in Wake County, um, there are more non-whites than whites. So that's where our culture is going. So what I'm not saying, what multi-ethnic church is not built on is like, we better get on board. We're going to be left behind in 20 years because things are getting going to be more and more diverse. It's not about that. It's deeper than that. It's about what God is doing. And if you study, if, as far as reflecting our community, um, the place that we're, 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 we're in lockstep with our community stats in some ways. Where we're most out of step is in the, in the Asian, Hispanic, Latino, different populations, right? There's a lot of folks to reach um, that we are not reaching. And the way we reach them is intentionality um, and designing uh, a church and a service and a welcoming where people know, where your friends know that we want that, we welcome that, we're not scared of that, and we're about that, and then trusting God to build it as he has to this point. And, and diversity can be dumb if it's the goal. If the goal is just to look diverse, right? If we try to, you know, the people that are up here, they're up here because they can sing, right? If, if, if you know, we put, you know, we, we got to have some Australian representation. Australian comes in and she can't sing, but she's Australian and her accent's cool. We put her up here, like that's, that's dumb, right? We're not just trying to, that's called tokenism, right? That doesn't help anybody. We're, the, the, Diversity is accomplished in the military. It's accomplished on sports teams. It's accomplished in a lot of places. And, and our goal is deeper than diversity. Diversity isn't bad, um, but our goal is deeper. Our goal comes from scripture. Um, so I wanna look at a scripture we've looked at many times. And before we get to it, I know, I know that it's not talking about black and white tension in, in the first century when this was written. I know that, but it's applicable. It's talking about tension between two groups. The two groups are Jew and Gentile, all right? And the issue is, so here's what happened, right? There's a brand new thing. It's called the way. Jesus came, he was Jewish, and he was, he was really offensive to the religious people, the old Jewish way. He's like, I'm, I'm the promised one. They're like, you can't be the promised one because the pro- they thought he, the, the promised one would free them from Roman oppression, and he would do all the stuff, and Jesus wasn't saying that. And Jesus was coming in love and uniting people, and that was offensive. And so then Jesus died, rose again, validated himself, and then he left for heaven. He started this church. And so Paul and other missionaries would go to different places and they would preach to both Jewish people. Hey, the Messiah you say you're waiting on, he already came, you missed him. He's the real deal, he's the one. And then they would also preach Jesus. They would, you know, we just sang the Jesus, you know, I, you know, speak the name of Jesus. They would just take Jesus to all these places. So Jewish people would become Christians and followers of Jesus. And at the same time, Greek people would become Christians people that were pagans or, or followed all kinds of Greek gods and crazy stuff, 
And they all would be like, I believe this. It was the power of the gospel. It wasn't because the preacher was so good, the power of the gospel. So now what do you got? You got a bunch of people that are in the same church. They did house churches. Imagine your house full of people and some of the people that are in your house are what you were taught growing up were people that were unclean. By nature, they're unclean. They're, far from, they're offensive to God just by their existence. And now we're supposed to be um, brothers and sisters. So Ephesians 2 is this beautiful chapter of here's what the gospel did for us. And then it's speaking specifically to this Jewish Gentile tension of how do we coexist in the same, in the same church? Because some of it was culture. Some of it was food. Right, Jewish did certain foods we don't eat, and then you, you're, in, you're in church with people that are what they're in eating for lunch is not okay with you. And how do you, like well, who wins that battle? And do we eat the? Can we eat pork? You know, is, is, is it a whole new ball game, or how does that work as we flesh it out as a church? So here's how he says it, and this matters for us and all of our racial tension. He says now he's talking about Jesus, what he's accomplished now in Christ Jesus. You who are once far away, that's us Gentiles. We weren't Jewish. We've been brought near. How? How did we get in on this? By our behavior, by our ethnicity, by our, no, by the blood of Christ. What Jesus accomplished on the cross invited us, everybody, there's nobody excluded, not based on your gender, your race, what you've done, how bad you are, what you believe, how you grew up. There's nobody that's on the out. That's beautiful to get to preach. Some of you are new today. We're so glad you're here. I don't have to know anything about you to know you're invited in because what gets you in on this thing is the blood of Jesus shed for you out of love, his sacrifice on the cross. He himself, Jesus, he is our peace. How do we make peace? Through Jesus, who has made the two groups, Jew and Gentile, he's made them one. He's destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. He destroyed it. Now that's a specific Reference the dividing wall of hostility. In the old Jewish temple, there was a wall. If you, my Jewish friend, invited me to church, it'd be like here, your friend brought you to church and you're hanging out in the lobby, you're eating a donut and you start to come in here and your Jewish friend says, oh, sorry, you can't come in here. This is Jewish only. There was a wall that divided by race, right? We know that historically. And, and Paul is referencing that when he's writing this through the Holy Spirit, that Jesus destroyed the dividing wall. Jesus, God is not looking at us based on our, our race. He's looking at us based on our faith in Jesus. That's what um, unites us and it, it destroys the barrier. It also destroys the hostility. Now, can we apply the hostility between Jews and Gentiles? Can Jesus destroy the hostility among races today? It's the same. Yeah, there's, there's hostility in the world. There's hostility in our culture between races for all kinds of reasons. Jesus is the answer to that. Next verse. By, how did he do it? By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. So he, all the, the Jewish law that people, like Jesus set all of that aside. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. Now there's not Jew and Gentile, now there's just Jesus. Thus making peace and in one body, he reconciled both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Isn't that beautiful? By one spirit, it doesn't matter where you come from, what you look like, you have access through Jesus to the same dad. And what do you call it? If me and you have, we, we get to talking after church and we find out what? Jim Jones was your dad too? Well, show me a picture. Now that's my dad. If we find out that he's your dad and he's my dad, that's awkward. <laughs> what does that make us? Brothers. Makes us brothers. Simple as that. So we are brothers in Christ, that's what, a, that's what he, he put to death, the hostility that could make us not family. So that is what we're about. The reason 
we, I called it diversity is dumb because diversity just means we're diverse as a group of people. It doesn't get into the scripture and it's better than that, right? Diversity is dumb if that's the end goal. If we, cause we've accomplished that. We're diverse. Woo! That doesn't change anything, right? What we're about is family. Family is fantastic. If diversity is dumb, family is phenomenal. Family. That's what's never happened in the history of our country for all kinds of reasons. We have 250 years of evidence and we've never been family spiritually across racial lines. Never. Never. Right? We've tolerated each other. We've integrated schools. That's not as good as what we're talking about. We're talking about truly being family. You're my brother. You're my sister. That's what Jesus accomplished. And I don't want us to settle for anything else. And if we settle for diversity, we can actually hurt each other. Because diversity, diversity can mean, you know, it's 2023, so... It's, you kind of look bad if you don't have some diversity as a church, especially if, as a newer church. So what I'm thankful for here, if you go on our website and look at the pictures, they're actually relentless people, right? We don't have to pay some website to, to get diverse pictures. You know, uh, it's actually pictures of our, of our folks. But what, what is easy to do and what multi-ethnic church has kind of gotten a, a little bit of a negative rap for because it happens is usually, honestly, usually it's white. You know white people. Right, it's, it's, it's a white pastor who, who, who is doing church the way church has always been done. And when you get to the staff and the leadership, it's very extremely white. But yet, the crowd has some diversity in it. So that's a diverse church. Like family, if, I'm, if, if we're family, then we're family. And there's, there's, there, there's all the things that go with family. And that's in a good, healthy family, there is representation and all family members have a say in, in all those things. So, so we're not just trying to be diverse. That's such a, it's not a bad, diversity is not bad. It's not really dumb. That's just a cute title, right? It's just dumb if that's what we settle for. We're trying to go way deeper than that. I don't, when this is all said and done, I don't want it to be true that we planted a diverse church. I want it to be true that we became a diverse family. The goal is the, uni the unity that Jesus accomplished on the cross would be evident here and the world would take notice. The world is not impressed by diversity because, you know, they see diversity. Historically, they see diversity everywhere except the church, right? Well, can I, maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't. <laughs> you get me in trouble. When, you, you know, I talked about, the, I looked at a lot of statistics. I used to study those when we planted the church, but I hadn't looked at them in a while. You know, if you just read scripture, if you just read scripture and moved to America, didn't know anything, you just read scripture, you would say the church of Jesus would be leading the way in diversity, right? So you get a good sample of our culture by going to the school statistics. What is the least diverse kind of school? Christian. Christian. So the more Christian the school, the more not diverse the school, right? And there's, there's a lot behind that, right? So we, we want to lead culture. The church of Jesus should lead because of the gospel. That's what the gospel does. The gospel is the most inclusive thing in the history of the world. doesn't matter. Like we all get to this family the same way through faith in Jesus. That's how we enter. Um, so as far as an aha moment, I want to give you, you know, I know you love acronyms. If you love me, you love acronyms. Uh, so we'll do a little aha acronym. Um, how are we going to lead? How are we relentless going to lead? This is the how. Like, 
How do we function as a multi-ethnic church? It starts with the A, acknowledgement. Um, this means a lot in your personal life for you to acknowledge reality, acknowledge history, acknowledge there's some stuff that you don't know. Um, I think the bar is really low. You know, uh, a month ago when I did the message that we accidentally didn't record and I, it's not available, I can't prove it to you, but I promise, we talked in depth about white supremacy. Some of you were here. That meant a lot to some people of different races just because I've never heard a pastor talk about white supremacy. Why is that, right? It's important just to acknowledge the roots of white supremacy in our history that also is, 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 is impactful in our, in our present. Um, so we've tried to be a church that acknowledges, and that's, that's complicated. Um, you know, in our early days, um, we were praying so hard to become a multi-ethnic church, and, and some, some of our, um, some of our you know, key people, white people were just behind closed doors, like frustrated of like, man, we're just not, I th- you know, wh- wh- where, why isn't it happening, you know? And it was slow. Um, and I tried to acknowledge, you know, and help people understand, you know, it's not easy for a black man to come and sit under a white pastor. That's, that's complicated. And it's like, and then somebody asked me one time, could you sit under a black pastor? Could I, David Jones, as a white guy, could you sit under a black pastor? Absolutely, I wouldn't hesitate. And then it goes to, well, if you would sit under a black pastor, then it shouldn't be a big deal for, for a black man to sit under you, a white pastor. It should go both ways. It's the same thing, but it's not. That's part of what we have to acknowledge, right? When I, if I go in and I've had black pastors, um, you know, mentor me, and when I, when I go into a setting and I'm under the spiritual authority of a, of a black leader, right? There's not all the, st- I don't bring all the stuff into that where I've got a history where, where the right and safe thing for me to do was protect myself from the leadership of a black man. That doesn't exist. That's not in my, that's not in me, right? So there's just stuff that's there historically. There's stuff there because it has been the history of of our country where, where it has not only been, but it has been white men that have abused the name of Jesus to the detriment. And that matters, that, that the sins of the past, they're in the room, right? So it's not the same. And I had, I had black, black men who loved me. I would call them a brother, they would call me a brother. And, and they, in the early years, and they would say, you know, I'm, I'm getting there, I'm starting to be able to trust you. I'm like, oh, what do you mean? He's like, it was just hard at first. I was like, oh, please help me, I'm new at this. Tell me, what did I say? What, did I, what shouldn't I have said? And he's like, you didn't say anything. You're just white. And I was like, I'll work on that. I don't, I don't, I don't, right? But it's just the acknowledgement, right? We're not going to get it. That's my biggest fear for our country. Like, I want our country to continue to excel and exist. My fear for our country to get anywhere, and, and that's all the outside. The church is a big piece of that. We, the one thing we refuse is acknowledgement. We just won't acknowledge what is. Right? And it's hard to go anywhere. That's why the first letter in the acronym, if we're not going to acknowledge what we're trying to do, Relentless Church, it's not easy. Right? I talk to church planners sometimes, and people tell church planners, church planning is really hard. Don't try to plant a multi-ethnic church because you, it's going to be hard enough without that and just brings all this other stuff into it. What you're a part of, it's not what I'm doing, it's what we're doing. It's just more complicated. The acknowledgement sometimes can be painful. It starts with acknowledgement. Jesus will help us with that. And it goes to the H. You're not going to acknowledge without some humility, right? Jesus, we talked about that last week. Like, that's who we are. He was the ultimate servant. He had every right to play the I'm the king of kings card. And he, he constantly played, I came here to serve. We have, 
Zero chance without humility as a church. Zero. Like we can, we can create diversity. We can, we, can, we can make diversity happen. We can figure that out in our humanity. We have zero chance of being the church God called us to be without humility. Humility allows us to change, allows us things to change, allows you to hear different, listen different, learn different. You know, there's just, there's narratives that we believe. Some of us, there's narratives that we embrace that if you dig, the narrative is built on lies. And none of us like to, like to admit that I believe something that's built on a lie. Right? We were at a conference uh, that I went to that first Kainos conference in 13 by myself, Memphis, Tennessee. The next year, uh, we took some people from Relentless with us. So I was with Chauncey, and um, Chauncey was in first service. And we were in a workshop. It wasn't the main thing. It was a workshop this guy was teaching, and he's just talking about, you know, um, suspicion and um, stereotypes. And he said, how many of y'all were taught? And he said, finish this, this sentence for me. Uh, if, a, if you see a white woman and her hair's wet, what does her wet hair smell like? And a bunch of guys shouted, dog. And I was like, what? And I was like, Chauncey, you ever heard that? And he's like, oh yeah. I'm like, really? How could you, how could all these guys have heard that? I never heard that. Why? But, right? And I, I, you, there's just stuff that you don't know. And, and that's, a, that's a silly one, but let me get to a more serious one. Right, for me, this is just, this is a blind spot. And if you're, if you think you're the one in the room without blind spots, humility, right? So here's a blind spot for me. I grew up uh, in a high school that's very diverse, but it was almost completely white and, and African-American. So I'm, I'm growing in understanding. So, so, you know, 20 years ago, I would have been very ignorant in how I thought about the subject of immigration, which is a very, you know, buzzword, political word. I'm not, I'm just talking about what that means. All right. So my thought was, you know, there's legal immigration and illegal immigration. I'm for one, like, and for, for all the illegals, like, what's, like, just go to the court and sign the paper. Like, just become legal. I, I so ignorant, because why? I didn't know, and I wasn't humble enough to do. So then when we met Vasti Rodriguez, our Dominican worship leader, and she invited me and some others to her citizenship ceremony, which I'd never been to, and it was so moving. I was like, tell me how. She said it was a 10-year process. So you just can't go become a citizen? How did, how did I not know that? Like, part of me is like, man, I'm, a, I'm an educated guy. I'm a pastor. I'm leading a multi-ethnic church. I, if that were true, I would have known. No, I didn't know anything. The more I looked, I didn't know. Like today, you, the process starts, right? If you want to start to become a United States citizen, something that I never worked for, did anything for, that I was born with, it starts with having five years of residency. And it starts with a $725 application fee just to get going. Right? And all kinds of other things that I didn't know anything about. So I had to humble myself. Now, you know who you guys love? I don't, I don't even have to know. You know who I know you guys love? Grandma. Don't you love your grandpa and grandma? Right? And unless your grandpa was named Jesus, your grandpa has flaws. Your grandpa believes some stuff that was off. And one day my grandkids, if I get any, my grandkids will study them, and I won't, I won't be the first perfect grandfather either. So what are we hesitant to do? We're hesitant to go against something grandpa was really confident about. And if you go through this room, all of us, from all the places we come from, and we study the theology of what our grandpa was confident about on the, in the ways about God and race, we're going to come up with some jacked up stuff. It takes a humility to say, you know, man, it doesn't mean grandpa isn't in heaven. It doesn't mean grandpa was evil, but man, grandpa was wrong. 
about that. It's hard for us sometimes, and that's how change happens. And the reality is, I can read books on immigration. I can, I can watch Selma every day for the rest of my life. I can have, I can do it, but the reality is I'm never, I've had to come to terms with this. I'm never gonna fully understand what it's like to be an immigrant in this country. I'm never gonna fully understand what it's like to walk in the shoes of a black man in this country. I'm never gonna fully understand what it's like to be a female in this country. Those, I, I can try and I should, but I'm never fully gonna be able to get there. And that's gonna require great humility. And the same is for you. Whatever you are, there's a lot of things that you're not and you don't know right, what, what it's like to be some other people in this room, right, not just minorities, right, um, there, there's, there's every race and, and even white male, there's some things in today where I'm automatically distrusted because of my white maleness, right, and I'm not, I'm not moaning and groaning and whining about that, uh, I'm just saying it's going to take humility on every side, but if we get acknowledgement and humility and that's it, that's not us. We gotta get the whole acronym, acknowledgement and humility that leads to action. We gotta do something at some point, right? Diversity is no action to diversity. Diversity is just, you sit, right? We're not calling you to come and sit and attend. This whole series has been not go to a church, but be part of a church. So to be part of this church and the multi-ethnic movement, you bring your ethnicity, you bring your culture, you bring all of that into it. And we don't want you to check that at the door. We want you to bring who God made you to be into our church. We need that from you. We need that perspective. And we want to take action. And what do, we, what do we do? What's the action? The main action is love. 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 And love hard. That's, the, that's what we do. What, what do we do with all this? We love. And when we love hard, it changes things, right? I, 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 I love Vasti. Some of you knew Vasti. Vasti comes back and helps us out occasionally. Um, she was here a few weeks ago. Um, I, I talked to her this week to make sure I had her permission to share that story. And, um, you know, because I have a relationship with Vasti, when I hear unfair, wrong things said or posted about immigration, it hits me different because of the relationship and love I have for a person. Because now I can see 21-year-old Vasti, who I didn't know, who was not a citizen and wanted nothing more than to become a citizen, who had come to a country as a teenager and didn't know one word of English and all that that comes with and how she's battled. And I know that 21-year-old Vasti, I know how important and, and valuable it could have been to be in a church like this that would love her well. And I see things differently. So some of you are like, really, that's the big action, love? No, some of you love so hard. Some of you, if, if, I, if I grab you right after church and say, some bad things about your spouse or about your kid. If I start talking negative about your kid, I'm gonna see a passion in you because you love hard and nobody messes with your kid. Why? Because that's family, right? If we really understand what Jesus is calling us to, you're gonna start to think differently. You're gonna raise kids differently. You're gonna post differently because there's so much love for people that have a different walk than you have. It's gonna change how you live. It's gonna change how you think. It's gonna change how you talk. Love does that. If you really love somebody and you get to the place relationally where they can tell you how it really is to be them, because that's not easy, and that goes both ways, and we start to have those kind of true family relationships where we love each other, like Jesus talked about, across all the lines, and we look like our community, and we're reaching people of all kinds of backgrounds, languages, all of it. If we 
get there, right? It's going to affect our community. That's the goal. But the, it, don't minimize the relational piece of loving and loving hard. Um, you know, we talk about the, the, the buzzwords of being anti-racist versus not racist. Anti-racist is action-based, right? Because, because some of you have had relationships in our church. We're doing the men's retreat this weekend. That's huge, right? And as you get to know people that have a different walk or a different whatever from you, like when you love them, you start to stand up for people in a different way because of that love in you. It just, it just kind of naturally flows out of, the, out of the relationships. And we're also, and this is enormous, this is enormous as far as action. These small groups that we're about to start, we haven't done small groups in homes. That's how we like to do them because of the pandemic. It's been four years since we've, we've done small groups. We've done them online, um, but we haven't done, and it's, it's time to go into homes. So uh, we want you to sign up today. Um, because they're, they're organized on that. When you sign up, be as specific as you can. Give us all the nights that you're available, right? Because they're going to assign you to a group based on where you live and based on what nights that you're available. So that's a big deal. And we're studying Galatians. We're going to talk about it from stage on Sunday mornings, and we're going to do it during the week. It's going to be beautiful. That is the power of the multi-ethnic church. We've done a lot of racial reconciliation. There's been a lot of diversity through the years. What's never happened is people from different ethnic backgrounds in America coming together in homes, praying together, studying the Bible together, and becoming brother, sister, family, love relationships. That's the game changer. That's what changes everything because as you learn to love people, and what I'm not saying is if we're in a group together, me and you, and we came up very differently, what we're not gonna say is after six weeks, everything's gonna be different in the world. No, what's gonna be different in our church is gonna be relationships. It doesn't mean we're gonna vote the same. It doesn't mean we're gonna uh, see every uh, issue the same politically or even theologically. What it is, the, the multi-ethnic church is not built on sameness. That's, that's not, we're never gonna be the same. God didn't make us to be the same. It's built on oneness. We're not trying to be the same. We're trying to be one. And, I, and that's the bottom line question of everything about multi-ethnic church. Do you really believe Jesus is enough to unite across? Like, is Jesus, if I have, me and you have Jesus in common and we vote different and we have different views on this and that, is Jesus, is the, what we agree on bigger than what we disagree on? Well, if Jesus is your savior, then you should both see the same. No, that's the power of the multi-ethnic church. We have different perspectives. We're better because we have a multi-ethnic leadership. We have different perspectives. These small group leaders, they don't all think the same. They don't all come up the same way. And there's power in that. We're missing out. We could go do an all whatever church and it's gonna be narrow-minded. There's nothing about God that's narrow-minded. His perspective is large. And here's, other than inviting you to small groups, um, I really believe that's a game changer for our church. Because you get, and I don't know, we, we don't know who's going to sign up. You may get into a group, you may show up, and like everybody is the same race as you. I hope not, but it could happen. And there's still a lot of value in that. But we believe that God's going to change our church because you get to know people and trust people. And God's speaking to us through, this, through his word together on Sundays and on a, um, there's a group on Sunday nights, group on uh, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Friday night. I think we got a group on every night but Thursday. So there's, there's, uh, there's possibilities. We'd love for you to, to get in on that, and that's going to change who we are. Let me acknowledge something, since it's acknowledgement, humility, and action. Some of you are fixers. So God's moving in your heart, and you're pumped, and the more you become aware of some of the messed up stuff in the world, you're not going to be the one to fix racism, all right? You, that, that, that's, that's, God can do that through his people, through his church. There will be no racism in heaven, I know that. But here's what else I know. 
I'm invested in this, right? The, the, I'm, I, I've given my heart and soul, not just to the multi-ethnic church, but to the gospel-centered. Like, we believe that. We're living that out. And it does get hard. It's probably going to get harder, and we're up for that. And we believe we're going to look a whole lot more like our community in five years than we do today. We have full confidence in God. He's going to do that and help us uh, get there. And us is you. We're going to do that. But the reality is, if this week, I don't want to, but if I wanted to just say, you know, for this week, I've talked about this. There's hard conversations. People get offended. You know what? For this week, I'm just going to check out of the whole debate. I'm not even going to think about race. I don't want to, I don't, I'm tired of it. I'm exhausted. I'm just done with it. I'm out. If I, I don't want to do that, but if I wanted to, I have that option. And a lot of you do not. There are people in, in your church family, they don't get the option of living outside of race dynamic in their day-to-day life, right? I have that option, but I choose to stay in the fight because God's in the fight because this isn't my idea. This isn't a fad. This is foundational to the gospel. When the gospel shows up in any city in the whole world, it's going to draw people that are different, that the culture says they would never be together. And now they are together because of one thing, Jesus. He's enough to keep us and to glue us together. All right? Let me, let me pray over to you, this beautiful multi-ethnic church. Will you guys stand up? We'll walk out of here after I say amen. If you need to do something, you need to, action is, Go and sponsor a kid. Go change a kid's life forever in La Ceiba, Honduras. Right? That's powerful. Action is signing up for a small group. Right? And, if, and we, we said it was over last week, but if you're a man, and you're like, I got to get in on this retreat. We got a bed for you. You can come talk to me. All right? Father, I just thank you for your brilliance, the blueprint. God, only you could thousands of years ago give us that in Genesis, that you're going to bless everybody through Abraham's talking about Jesus, that, God, we're just thankful that the path to Jesus has nothing to do with the language I speak, the tone of my skin, or gender, that, that you created this beautiful thing, that the, the way to belong is to be adopted into your family through faith in Jesus. Thank you for creating this new thing, this whole new people, and we just want to be your people. God, I pray that we would be the church you've called us to be, that you would give us the humility that we need to take action, that we could see change in our own family, in our own church, in our own community that pleases you. And and not, God, that people would be like, wow, what a cool church. God, that people will say, wow, what an amazing God. Only God could pull this off. Help us get there by the power. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.